0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast.
1: You're listening to episode 411. I'm your co host, Brittany Martin.
0: And I'm your co host, Nick Schwader.
1: Nick, in one week we get to see each other again. It has been since April 2018. Can you believe that?
0: I was in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm well into my 30s. It's a different decade of my life. And for folks that may recall, but Isle of Ruby was a one off amazing smaller conference in Exeter. And everybody thought since it was like an hour from where I lived that it was a little conference, but we had people from the US, Canada, Germany. It was just a wild conference. And that's where we last met, that's right.
1: That is so crazy to me. And what's funny too, is this podcast currently has four co-hosts. And Nick, I haven't seen you in four years, which by the way, I was not in my 20s when I saw you last. (laughs) But you were the only co-host I have ever met. Holy cow, that is crazy to think about it. Like we were
0: working in this digital world before it was the default for everybody, right? I think I remember us having old episodes before this new change in the world where we were talking about what it's like to work remote or opportunities for remote people. It's so crazy, but it, it makes me think about different Ruby conferences because mm-hmm. we always think of the big three. Well, there's a few other that are big, but like RubyConf, RailsConf, Kaigi, maybe Ruko, Brighton Ruby. But 12 years ago, there used to be, because I look at all these old blogs, right? There were so many smaller Ruby conferences, like Windy City Ruby, and there might have been like a Denver Ruby or something. And there's just conferences all over the place. So I love conferences of that size. And in fact, there might even be one that's not part of those big four or five that's happening in that week. So Sin City Ruby, are you excited?
1: I am so excited as someone who got their start in the Ruby community, at like Steel City, Ruby, Cascadia, Rocky Mountain, Ruby. I never made it to Ruby on Ales. That was always on my uh, list. I am so stoked, though, because currently the conference looks like it's about 43 attendees. And that includes the speakers, which is very Isle of Ruby. And it's almost poetic that you and I get to see each other again, Nick.
0: Yeah, that's it. You know, they were able to do in-person for RubyConf in November. You know, it was hard. And, I, and a big applause to Ruby Central for making it work. But even with reduced attendance, it's still in the hundreds. And that means there are hundreds of people that I didn't talk to. Whereas with Isle of Ruby, I'd be surprised if there was one person I didn't get to really know. And with this, I think that's fantastic. We're going to have some big names there, not just like people speaking, but there's Europeans going. There's, I think, Canadians, there's Americans. It's, it's all over. And I think it's such a cool location as well. All cities are great, but I think there's something about having it in Vegas where we don't currently have like an established Ruby conference presence. So yeah, it's really cool that it's coming up.
1: Totally agreed. And I give Jason Sweat so much credit for putting this all together seemingly by himself. And it almost makes me wonder, is this something that I could pull off in Pittsburgh? Could you pull this off where you are, Nick? I mean, it really makes me think.
0: Yeah. Okay. This is a cool point. We should get Jason and just pick his brain after. So this will come out after Sin City Ruby, but I love how he designed the website. It's just like he put it together. We've got the Comic Sans font. It's in Vegas. Here's the people. It's like all the core information. And yeah, if you know that you're going to have, say the 40 to hundred range, and you're in a place that is literally made for conferences, the infrastructure of Vegas, booking you know, having a place where people can speak, they're ready for it. Yeah, I wonder, can I find something that's bookable in Belfast or Dublin that you could facilitate up to 100 people, get your COVID checks, whatever, get a caterer. But I'm I'm sure like, it seems achievable now, but I'm sure it's a Herculean effort. And I'm very grateful that someone like Jason, like you say, in large part on his own, maybe is taking this on.
1: Yeah, he's just done it in such a clear and concise way. But also, there's not a ton of fanfare so far, which, I mean, he really self-marketed it and reached out to potential speakers. And so that was interesting. And also, Nick, we're going into this conference. And as of right now, we don't have the topics that the speakers are talking about. And in some ways, it's kind of exciting.
0: Yeah, I don't know what someone's going to cover. What if somebody just radically changed their talk at the last minute? We wouldn't know it. And it's pretty cool. Are you comfortable talking about your side of things or?
1: Absolutely. So I originally said that during President's Day, I was going to knock out my conference talk. I was going to have it done for months, Nick. That was the original (laughs) goal. Of course, that didn't happen because I don't know if you're this way, but I like to noodle over my top in the shower when I'm running. I come up with different ideas and different ways to connect things. And so I will run over to my keynote deck and just like start making adjustments. So I feel like my talk is almost like a living, breathing thing. Now I'm doing a talk that's very phone based. It's called, we need someone technical on the call. And so the abstract is a DM, the dreaded message. They want someone technical on the call. If that statement is terrifying, never fear. Being effective at these interactions can be a big opportunity for your career learn tactics on when to commit to calls and how to execute them while empowering your team, conserving your time and acing the follow-through.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I'm excited to hear that one. And do you have thoughts on like kind of your format or is that like, it's weird because like listener, right now this hasn't happened. When you are listening, this has happened. So I'm like thinking in two time periods at once. So if you've got like a way you like to approach your format, your layout. So you said about how you work, Do you come in with kind of an outline in your head about, I want to do storytelling here. I want to do examples here or. Exactly.
1: That is exactly how I do it. I always build out an outline of my talk first and I always want to lead in with the setup. It's almost like writing a book. There's like the setup, there's the middle part, and then there's the ending and like the lessons learned, Mm -hmm. I guess. But I don't know if it was you who tweeted this. I'm pretty sure it is. But Jason is almost encapsulating the whole Keep Ruby weird vibe as well. And that is another conference that I so wish I could have attended at one point in my life. But I'm kind of adding some camp to it along the way just to make it fun. And we have the schedule now and I'm closing out day one. So I'm the speaker in between us doing talks and doing the quote unquote TBD fun thing, Nick. So I better bring the energy is all I gotta say. So I am actually starting off the talk with a three minute phone song remix yeah. that our editor Paul put together to get everyone like pumped up. And then I'll be honest with you, I'm going to put it final. I have an entire slide dedicated to Andrew Mason because I am officially the president of the Andrew Mason fan club. <laughs> And I have this belief that if I put it into a conference talk, then it's final. No one can argue with me ever and again. So Andrew is one of the people that I'll get to meet at Sin City, Ruby. It's absolutely crazy to me that I haven't gotten to meet him in person. And I am just so, so stoked.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I can't wait to see it. And if you go on Twitter now, there's probably a reaction to it already out there in the future,
1: right? <laughs> probably. <laughs> I will pin it. Let me uh, commit to that right now, that if there is a reaction to it, I will be pinning that onto my uh, Twitter Uh, timeline.
0: Well, Brittany, that makes me feel like a bit better that you're going through that kind of approach. I love the three minute music intro and then having this slide. And like you say, we have a bit of license to kind of be creative with Mm -hmm. this one. Not that you don't at RubyConf or RailsConf. I joke with Kai Gee, you're not going to get certain types of talks there. And then with RubyConf, RailsConf, I might have a certain angle. But I was feeling with this one, and I asked Jesus. And I said, can it be a bit weird, you know? Like keep you be weird." He's like, "Absolutely." And he said he liked that. I'm like, "Okay." I've actually, even though I enjoy that whimsical area, I've not tried to go for that in a talk, and I kind of am tempted to go that way with at least a portion of my talk. So I guess I'll give you a little preview of mine. So. Similarly in the past, I'll tell you the past. So again, I think it's fun to talk about how I think through the talks. Say with Ruby archaeology, I kind of start with what the thesis or the premise, which is how do we look at old code and looking at old code is fun and some moral lessons or whatever. And then I go in and I have a few examples that I talk through and I break down. So I'd like my three Ruby gems and then each one had three or four examples that I thought were interesting. And then I kind of wrap things up with how you can be a Ruby archaeologist and then during that, I discovered a gem from Y. is called Hobix. Uh, this is a secret now, but not secret after the talk, so when this comes out. And I'm thinking, like, how the heck do I present this? Really, it's just like a lot of time, me going through this old code. And I've realized that there's really two stories to tell. And I'm planning at time of recording, this may not happen, in doing this in two acts. So there would be a first act, which would be me, in character, not as why or anything, but a bit more in a character presenting this as a thing that everyone should use and why they should use it and explaining and extolling it, its virtues and the use cases and in a slightly more whimsical way. And then having a little intermission with, like you say, a few minutes of possibly whimsical video content. And then it's like, there will be a little transformation in my appearance. And then it's like Nick's back and I'm going to talk through how I work through this gem and interesting Ruby findings that I had and what it's like to get 18-year-old Ruby gem working again in 2022. So that's kind of my format, which is vastly different because in the past, I'm very A, B, C, D, but I'm second to last to the conference. So I might see the vibe and and, and if (laughs) if it looks like this vibe isn't going to work, I might do some ninja edits in the midnight before, but I'm currently practicing and I am enjoying myself. It's a smaller conference. We'll see what the vibe's like and and we'll give it a try anyway.
1: Well, first of all, I am obsessed with the idea of a costume change. That is absolutely (laughs) going to be well-received. So you definitely need to do that, Nick.
0: I have ordered things online that are on their way. I won't look radically different, but I will definitely look different in part one and part two. And I might even have my slides look radically different in part one and part two.
1: I love this idea. And I knew that we were going to go a little bit into the weird territory when Jason Sweat tweeted that he bought his outfit. First movie, be Ruby. I was like, oh, there's an outfit at play. I was like, okay, I'm here for it.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. It'll be really fun. And also our time, I guess I'll share this as well. Our time's a little more flexible than most. And I think that's so interesting because there's multi-track conferences, which are great. Mm. And it's very specific and prescribed, which is great. But each talk kind of has an hour block and we've been advised, yeah, 20 to 40 minutes. But like, if you go a bit over whatever, which made me feel like I can have a five minute intermission. <laughs> in the middle of my talk and do two things instead of really being like, you've got 30 minutes and there's a one minute gap to start the next talk. So it'll be pretty exciting to see how it goes and haven't traveled to America in a little bit. So yeah, it'll be fun doing international travel again.
1: If you've been considering trying Honey Badger, now is the time. They have two really cool new features I just learned about. They now have status pages and can monitor your SSL certs. Whether US East one is down, or you forgot to add a configuration file, everyone has an outage from time to time. When your next outage occurs, transparency is critical. The difference between a minor annoyance that people soon forget, and a fiasco that creates sustained resentment is in how you communicate. They just shipped an update that can help communicate outages to your customers, public status pages with custom domains and branding. Many certificate authorities, such as Let's Encrypt, will automatically renew your SSL certificates for you. But if you manage your own certificates, you have to remember to renew them yourself. If you forget, your customers won't be able to access your website and HoneyBadger will sound the alarm. HoneyBadger Uptime Monitoring can now warn you before your SSL certificates expire so that you remember to update them before your customers are affected. Check out HoneyBadger.io to learn more. Do you have any advice for me? Because I haven't given an in-person talk since Paris RB in 2020. And so I'm just curious, do you have any advice for anyone who is returning to conference speaking after a long gap? Or I believe we have several first time conference speakers at Sin City Ruby. So do you have any quick tips for us to keep in mind?
0: Oh, yes, for sure. For in person, you've done all the work. You know how to make a talk. You've rehearsed it. I have a couple of quick tips off the top of the head. And I did this one at RubyConf. I was quite nervous. I was feeling the elevation. So like my breathing didn't feel quite right. It was a mile high. I did unfortunately have COVID in the time prior. So unfortunately, just sometimes breathing isn't the same. And I was a bit nervous. So I'm like, how do I just get into my speaking flow and be comfortable on the stage that I've never been on before? Because I've done it in my office. So the first thing I do is make sure you're up, if you can be up on the stage three to five minutes before your talk, if you can, maybe even a little longer as you're getting set up. And... If someone in the crowd or not, just kind of talk to the crowd while you're up there. I did this at Ruby Confident. Really, I think broke the ice pre-talk or made me feel more confident. Andrew Mason was in the front row and I was just like, oh, hey, Andrew, from the stage. And you can even just say ambiguously, how is everyone? You having a good time? But not as a part of your talk, just before, you know, you've clicked on your slide. And the second thing I'd say is pauses. I don't know if you ever get this where you're going through a slide and you're saying something, and your brain is telling you, this isn't landing, right? Like, this isn't how I visualize. I'm just saying words and they don't link up. So sometimes, or you're nervous or going fast and pausing, you really regain everyone's attention and it costs you nothing. And you can just collect your thoughts two to six seconds and just pause. It's a good habit to get into. And it's something I need to remember. I think that'll help you keep your pace and, and feel confident.
1: Now, how do you pause, Nick? Do you take a drink of water? Do you look away? What is the art of the pause?
0: For me, the best pause is doing nothing.
1: (laughs) Wow, that takes bravery.
0: Okay, maybe the thing is I go to the next slide like that. Everyone probably started listening a little closer in that a second and a half, I stopped talking, which is rare for me. So yeah, yeah, drink a water though, for sure. Do something like less intense. If I feel like I've kind of rambled on the last three slides and they don't really make any sense, which I'm nervous about my first half. Yeah, I'm having a bit of fun. Like the way I kind of intro in and we'll see. So like the pause may need to be deployed. or if anything, even if the first half's a total flop, I'm going to be Nick for the last half anyway. And I can regain the trust of the audience being my normal self. So,
1: well, I cannot wait for your talk. And let me just officially congratulate you on a fabulous talk now that we are supposedly (laughs) post-conference. But I am very eager to hear it, Nick.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's... Pretty, pretty exciting. So, comments aside, how's everything else been in Ruby land, Rails land, work land, and in your neck of the woods?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And something that, you know, had a perfect segue for was you talked about Elevation in Denver. And I just returned from Denver last week from our all-company on-site. Now, uh- as most companies, our engineering team is growing very quickly so originally I was managing four engineers after my next two hires. I'm looking at 13. It'll be time to break things up a little bit. But last week we onboarded our new CTO. So I now have an official boss in the company, which is great. And then we also onboarded a new engineer. So literally his first day was in person at this onsite We had time during the onsite to do some like fun activities. So we ended up going to this big art exhibit called Meow Wolf in Denver, which was a lot of fun. But this is the part where I want your advice, Nick. We did this conference room session and it was genuinely my favorite part of the entire onsite. So we spent two and a half hours in a conference room. We had a whiteboard. We talked about how to onboard a CTO. And then we got into like some really tough technical problems. And I'm curious, as someone who works for a large company where your teams are broken up everywhere, have you all figured out how to whiteboard remotely?
0: It's hard. So there's a lot of tooling. I don't think any of this information is secret. I believe Miro Mm -hmm. we use a lot. Now, I can't speak for the word because we're so darn big. I'm just saying like another team could be using something else for their facilitation. With people I know Miro we've used quite a bit. And we do find that the tooling is pretty good, but as I have raised, because we haven't done like a specific team on site yet, but something that like some teams are doing and we're looking at doing soon, I have said there's certain types of work, which even as a remote company, would sure benefit from being on site. And I love remote, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're doing planning, we aren't waterfall, but say you're planning for next year or the half a year, just like kind of big, big ideas. You can only I struggle after an hour and a half on a Zoom call, but this is something that could benefit from being in a room with people with markers and coffee or soda and snacks and breaks and all day. Like you could really be engaged for a lot longer than staring at everyone's face on the screen. So, yeah, I think the two lines getting better. I really like Miro, but that said, still, I think it's hard because not everyone can do on sites with their personal situation or timing. But it sure is nice that you're able to do that. And I'm jealous because I'm hoping to be able to do it with my team in the near future.
1: Yeah, I hope that for you. I'm curious if you'll agree with me, but I've had people on the podcast before saying that remote is very lonely. I must have tricked my brain at some point, Nick, because I'm not lonely. Because we use Tuple and Zoom so often, I really can just call and have someone on my screen next to me. Maybe it's the way I've positioned my laptop, but it genuinely feels like I'm in the room with him. Hmm. I don't get lonely with my current situation, but there is there is something about a hug from somebody that you've been talking to for two years and haven't gotten mm-hmm. to see.
0: Yeah, it's okay. Two things. Number one, this is crazy because like you and I are long running podcast geeks in this community. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to Ben Orenstein when he left what thought about a million years ago and created the art of product and spent like years talking about this tuple idea. It's so weird now to be at work and have people who never listen to that podcast or know who that is be like, yeah, tuple me. I'm like, Whoa, this happened. Like no programmer ever does that. Well, so yes, tuple is amazing. And it's still amazing. And I've really find, I don't have a great react skills and I was pairing with someone the other day and just watching them in their editor. And how they do their work. And I learned so much because I was there in my mind. But then on the other side of things, yeah, it can be lonely, but you said about tricking your mind. And I've started to restructure how I think about work now. Cause since I'm remote and I am in another, you know, nobody's on the island of Ireland because I live in Belfast. Mm-hmm. So no one's on the same island as me, pretty much that I work directly with. And anybody who is is still flights away, if not largely in Canada and America. And I've had to realize some of these people I would like socially interact with. And if they left my team, I'd still have meetings with them to catch up, but that my social circle is for immediate, like a separate thing in my life. Whereas in the past you work in Belfast at a tech team and you get to know them, you go to their house for a barbecue. Your work life is very ingrained with your social life a lot of times, but now I've, I get really close to these people, but need to realize that. I have to do a separate investment for socializing. So it's extra work, but it is just a a reframing of kind of life and work, which is interesting. So yes, it can get lonely. You just have to, all right, I'm going to the, I don't know, the bowling alley this weekend with so-and-so who I don't know from work, you know?
1: This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open-source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com rubyonrails. So one topic that came up at the onsite was executing on remote happy hours. And I'm curious, do you do that currently, Nick? And if so, any advice there?
0: So our team is split and not a lot of teams are, but for ours, we have maybe half in Europe, maybe just under, and then half in EST. And that means that their lunchtime is my sign-off time nearly. So it's hard to have a happy hour that is like maybe traditional where you're having a beverage of your choice Mm -hmm. at a certain time. But we still, yeah, we do socials. I think that's something we flagged up that we wanted to keep improving on. And I think we are. And people have talked about this, like pre-scheduled fun is tricky because if it's too often, it just feels like another Zoom meeting. But I think that if you don't do something where everybody's on and actually laughing, which we have had, like I could share with you some of the games we've done. If we're all together and goofing off and laughing a little bit, that's really, really good for building team dynamic. Because there's people that I work with them and they're for months, I thought they were really serious and that was okay. And then I see their sense of humor in another setting, even on a Zoom call, like, oh, okay, I've I've learned more about this person. So, yeah, I'd be interested what kind of conclusions you folks had, because would you largely be like Mountain, Eastern, at least USA kind of time zone?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. So we currently have two developers in South America, in Uruguay and Brazil. And so you are right that if we were to have a happy hour in the Eastern time zone, it's too early for Mountain. And so we've actually been thinking about maybe week one, we have one in the mountain time zone. Week two, we have one in the eastern time zone. So I'm still noodling this over and I still need to dig into the idea of games. But I think it is not a solved problem. But I want to take my team seriously when they say that they want this. So
0: actually, that raises something. It's not happy hours, but it's about meetings. So Mm -hmm. internally at Shopify, I'm known as the annoying person for Europe. Because in like every level of the org, if they're, we're global, right? Sometimes you have to watch a recorded meeting, but if there's an issue with a recorded meeting upload time, I'm the person. And there was an onsite that I did that wasn't for my team. And some random person from Europe came up to me and said, thank you for standing up for Europe. You know, like, so I'm always about like friendly times because if there's a time that's easily, most of our end would be in EST or central and GMT, you know, Western Europe. We're global, but a lot of our time zones are there. So I'd be like saying, we can at least facilitate a lot of people at once, but still be global for recording. Mm -hmm. And I raised this and like, and I asked if I to like the CTO, it's a bit intimidating because we're a large enough org. I wouldn't really interface with a CTO. And he directly responded to it for his monthly fireside chats. And he said, he used to work at Slack before. And he said, you know what? We need to be first class meetings, you know, these things for everyone. And he actually runs his firesides twice a day. So he will do one at like 7 a.m. his time, at 7 p.m. his time or whatever, so that every part of the globe has a chance for like that monthly update. And it's been really good for morale, like these sorts of things. And our smaller team has started doing something where they at least alternate times so that nobody is exclusively inconvenienced. So that if it's a bit hard for EMEA for this one, well, it might be a little harder for EST next time. And then we kind of spread the love around the globe. So... Thank you for bringing it up. If people listening aren't talking about it, they're and they are multi-time zone. It's a very important topic because you might have someone who feels alienated, but isn't saying anything.
1: So- I totally agree. Now, this is me inserting like a time zones, am I right meme? But like in all <laughs> seriousness, we do need to be thinking about this because the only way that we're going to find great engineering talent is if we expand outwards. And so we need to make it as inclusive as possible, but also consider the fact that you know, I like that you're saying share the love. I was thinking share the burden. but <laughs> <laughs> I like your positivity. Nick.
0: <laughs> I'm so excited when I'm on a live meeting. That's like more than just my immediate team. So excited. I'm like, this is happening now. I can write comments and they'll actually appear on the screen. But yeah, no, share the burden because I'm more sensitive to it because in Europe, there's a very common culture of if your employer is North American, you stay up late. And that's not even enforced. That's just what people feel like they have to do.
1: Well, before we wrap up, I just wanted to touch upon RailsConf real quick. So I am currently the MC for the Make a Switch track, which I'm very excited about. The speaker selection hasn't been finalized yet, but probably by the time the episode goes out, it will be. The other track that I came up with was Community Content, and so Aisha Blake is going to be taking that one as the MC. So I'm super stoked about that track because the in-person podcast panel that we'll be doing at RailsConf will be part of the Community Content track. And when we do virtual RailsConf, we will have another podcast panel, which I'm so glad that we're doing that because then we're going to be able to include hosts of Ruby podcasts that we can't get in person at RailsConf. Oh, that is so
0: cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that turns out because it's becoming like a separate, wholly separate entity, which people I know who can't make it to Portland will be interested in that. And I'm excited to see those tracks. I think it's really cool that we have those this year. Yep. Totally and obviously, agree. that you're involved with them. I'm really grateful that you're putting yourself forward as well as working and everything, living a person's life, that you're giving back in that way. So, thank you for doing that.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that you say that, Nick, because I feel that, you know, as the Indiana Jones of Ruby archaeology, which thank you, Drew Bag, for that. Speaking of, I will link up that episode in the show notes. These kinds of things are how I contribute to the community. It's not code based for me, it's very much community content for me. And so, I'm glad I can. I'm glad that I've found a way to contribute back to this community that I love so much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this too, right? We don't say it often enough, but you've been so consistent with the content uh, and coming out here. And we need to remember that so much of what we see and interact with in community might be one segment, but there's so many people who will be listening and you're able to kind of share, say somebody listens to this podcast for the first time. They just got into Ruby two months ago. And you and I are saying things that we think are evident and like straightforward but now we're able to kind of give back in a small way. Some of these perspective and learnings we've developed the
1: hard way. Agreed. Now, this is the Ruby on Rails podcast, and I feel like we need to at least have some sort of reaction to what happened with DHH. So I want to go on the record of saying it's disappointing how that all carried out. My thing about all of this is I'm very protective about how the Ruby and Rails community is looked upon by other communities. And so while it was a situation where an email was sent and instead of responding to an email, a blog post was posted. There was accusations of being canceled. We had core team members quit. I'm not going to dig into that. I think the part that I'm disappointed about is that I'm on the Rails subreddit and there are fights breaking out and people making the assumption that Ruby and Rails is not strong right now. We had an incredible year this past year. And it is perfectly okay for the founder of a framework not to be the keynote speaker. That is atypical. So there are many different frameworks out there where they have different keynote speakers each year. And so I just want to be so clear that Ruby and Rails is super healthy and it's important that other communities see this so that the way they join our community as well.
0: Absolutely. And if you don't mind, that's very well put. And if you don't mind, me say hello something myself too. Please do. I've kept it off Twitter because Twitter doesn't lend itself to like nice interactions sometimes with these things. But yeah, I mean, when I came into this community, okay, I haven't been around as long as I wish I was, but I've done a five upgrade and a and a six upgrade, and major upgrade in Rails, and I, and seven is the most excited I've ever been. Like all of this amazing work, and in it for the last number of months. I felt like a lot of my career, I was justifying Rails and how it was still relevant, but now I feel like just excited about all this work and inertia and tooling and how everyone's really bought in in the community and absolutely thrilled with what's coming up. And then I do feel, I don't want to say heartbroken because maybe people think I'm being dramatic. I'm just disappointed for a lot of the conversation now as we lead up to this Rails Conf might be about something that's not that. And yeah, absolutely for others looking into the framework. I love Ruby. I love Rails. I am here. I'm here to be Nick. And yeah, thank you for bringing this up.
1: Yeah. So those are my thoughts. So if you see Nick and I at Sin City Ruby or, you know, at RailsCon, feel free to pull us aside and share your thoughts. Definitely not looking to cause any arguments on Twitter or anything, but just wanted to put my thoughts out there. Now, speaking of other frameworks, I just wanted to end on this. Nick, did you have a chance to listen to the Laravel episode of Remote Ruby that just published?
0: No, I haven't, but I've been seeing Twitter And Rails, Laravel, Ruby, Laravel community, it's just like, I need to get in on this. No, I haven't listened to this episode yet.
1: So, so good. I'm going to link it up in the show notes. They did an incredible job with it. And this is the kind of content that we need to see. Like not staying trapped within our community and having open ideas because I love how much Taylor talks about how Rails influenced the direction he went. He's done some very incredible things with Laravel. And so such a good episode to listen to.
0: Great. Thank you very much. I will definitely check that out immediately.
1: Wonderful. Well, Nick, I will see you in person next week. Woohoo. Can't wait. Talk to you soon. All right. Later.
0: You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.